Christianity is an interesting thing. We have this this book we carry around with us. Um, You know, the, the beginning of it is recognized by Christianity and Judaism, and then that second half is recognized by Christians. But it's an interesting thing. It's like we have a biography that our faith, our religion, our practice was kind of given to us as a biography, a biography of God's interactions with people, nations and individuals, those who were following, those who were failing, those who were in rebellion, those who were completely surrendered. And it just keeps showing us the image of God and the, and the workings of God and the hand of God in people's lives. And as I shared with you, when you get to the book of Hebrews, one of the, one of the great statements in Scripture, I believe it's one that truly made an impact and changed the direction of my thinking God, who at various times and in various ways spoken times past to the Father by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, whom He has appointed heir of all things, through whom also He has made the worlds, who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the Father of majesty on high. The scripture, the word, this biography of God's activity with mankind, it claims that Jesus and God are one. And again and again and again and again, I will say to you, if you separate them, you do great damage to your understanding of Scripture. If you separate them, you likely will not recover your faith. This morning... I want to talk to you about the necessity, the importance of knowing God. Not the hymn of heaven. (laughs) I want to talk to you about how important it is that you understand who God is. If you turn with me to John chapter 17. It's... Jesus' prayer as recorded by John. Now, what's amazing to me is that John remembers this years and years and years later. It could be as much as 60 or 70 years later that John is remembering this prayer. Do you have any prayers that you've remembered that long? Do you remember any prayers? I mean, the Lord's Prayer, which we kind of all memorized, you probably have that one, but have you have any prayers that someone prayed for you that has stuck with you this long? I think under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, the apostle records what Jesus was saying about us and about the disciples 
right before he goes to the cross. And I want you to catch this verse first. John chapter 17, verse 3. And this, speaking spoken by Jesus, and this is eternal life. Well, what is eternal life? How do I get that? How, everybody wants to know how that works. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the Father, God, the Creator, the one who stands behind it all, and is in Christ, and Christ is in He, and His Spirit is in you, and His Spirit is in me, and His Spirit is everywhere, and He is present in certain places, and I don't know how to explain any of it. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, the only true God. What does that mean of all others? There are no others. Any other thing that replicates itself as God, it's not God. Any other thing that represents itself as God, it's not God. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This morning, I want to talk to you about the importance of knowing God. <laughs> This, I, I want to talk to you about the importance of knowing God. You go back to Genesis chapter 2. We've been talking about it for the last several weeks. Genesis, or last couple of weeks. Genesis chapter 2. It starts out with this picture of the end of creation. It says, thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work which he had done. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified, set it apart for a holy purpose, sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. And so I want to take you back to the last couple of weeks and give you a couple of quick reminders. Adam and Eve, who were not tired, who were freshly minted from the hand of God and who had not yet worked, were given rest. Not so they could rest, not so they could nap, not so they could recuperate. They had nothing to recuperate from. But they were given a time to stop, and they were taught that this time of stopping was very important. In fact, it was God's highest priority because on this day, they were going to hang out with him. They were going to get to know him. God's highest priority for this newly minted couple was that they would get to know him. So now I, I'm going to ask you to do something that probably most of you can't do because you're too old. I want you to imagine yourself as Adam or Eve. You pick. And I want you to Think about it, what it was like when the God of heaven placed breath into you. There's no reason to believe that he didn't breathe life into Eve as he did to Adam. 
When God pressed, pressed breath into your body and your heart began to pump and the electrical currents began to fire through your brain, your nerve endings began to tingle with the sensation of the air that was around you and the grass that you were laying on, as you began to come to life, opening your eyes, looking into the face of your Creator, and the big smile on His face says He's glad to see you, and the first words out of His mouth are, Hello. Welcome to your life. I am your Creator. Could you imagine trying to get your mind around that? You're what? Well, a minute ago, you were just mud. Or in Eve's case, a rib bone. But now, you're alive. Well, what's alive? Well, it's the, the state in which you are now. You feel the grass under you? That's because you're alive. Do you feel the air moving around? That's because you're alive. Just looking into my eyes, that's because you're alive. I don't know how you picture Scripture, but I have to pause along the way every once in a while, let my brain kind of wander off into what was going on. Because that would blow me right out of the water. I, in fact, I think if I woke up and there was a face right here, the first thing I would do would jump. But see, Adam and Eve had no fear, so maybe they had no impulse to jump. Maybe, maybe God did to them what I do to my kids or to my grandkids. My kids don't like it as much anymore. Get real close and you rub their heads. You know, you're right up in front of them. You can smell little baby breath. Little kid breath is always better than adult breath. I don't know what happens as we get older. Something blooms inside our mouth that probably shouldn't. You start, you just rub their head and you look into their eyes and you greet them. You wake them up from a nap and they slowly wake up and you're standing there in front of them and they get that little kid, I'm awakened and now I'm smiling and I'm glad you're there. God introduces Adam and Eve and they hang out for a little bit. That sixth day and then on the seventh day he hangs out with them. Priority number one is that mankind get to know God. Because this is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. When we lost eternal life, we lost an understanding of who God is. And we began, began to question God in his activities and his decision making and why did this happen and why did that happen and why didn't this happen and why didn't that happen? And we begin to wonder, can he be trusted? 
And every one of us has something that comes to mind that brings that question. Most of us have many things that come to mind that bring that question. But God wants us, priority one, to get to know him. Jesus will continue in this time of prayer for quite some time. But I want to hear where he, I want you to hear where he prays for you. It's down in verse 20 of Hebrews or of John 17. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their words. Do you remember me passing out a, a, a chain to you one time? Do you remember that chain I passed out to you? Some of you were here, some of you weren't. If you weren't, sorry, you'll probably get another chance. Because here's what the chain represents. It's that someone told me about Jesus. And someone told them about Jesus. Go ahead, hold that person's hand. Hold, hold my mother's hand right now, Jerry. And someone told them, and someone told him, and someone told him, and someone told him, and someone told her, and someone told her. And if you chase the linkage out from me to all through the people who have told someone who told someone who told someone who told someone who told, someone who told me, it goes to Jesus, who told the disciples, who told someone 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 who told me. And you know what he says? Get to know me. And then tell someone else. That's how this whole thing works. You get to know him well enough that you say, I, I trust him. And when you say, okay, I get it, I trust him, I, I, I can tell someone else why I trust him. Think about your relationships. Think about the person you trust the least right now. And this can't be somebody you don't know. You can't say, oh, some politician. You can't, you can't do that. It's somebody you actually know. Somebody you interact with, somebody you don't, somebody you quit interacting with. Think about the person you know well that you don't trust now. Got him? Got him in your head? Why don't you trust him? Most of you are going to say, because I know them. Right? So all relationships are built on information. Good information, bad information. People we trust, we trust because we have information that says this person is trustworthy. Right? Now, <clears throat> this, all, of, all those of you who are parents of teenagers... This will pass, and your relationship will be stronger afterwards. Don't let them go just because they haven't been great for the last three or four years, okay? But the reason you're struggling with them right now is because you have information about them. Teenagers, 
don't let go of your parents right now. Your relationship will be better in a few years. They will get their brain back when you turn about 22. But the reason you're having trouble trusting them right now is because you have information about them right now. You're in a broken period of your relationship for a lot of you. Because right now you're saying things your parents are not so trusting of. And they're saying, you're saying things to them that they're not sure they should trust you about. And you're not sure you should trust them about. And you have this conflict. And it's a conflict about information. It's a conflict of trust. Those of you who have a great relationship with your parents who are teenagers, count your lucky stars. Most kids don't survive their teenage years without some conflict with their parents. And those of you who are pretending you don't have conflict with your parents, you need to talk to them. Tell them the truth about how you're feeling. Those of you who thought about somebody you work with as the person you don't trust. My bet is you don't have lunch with them much. My bet is you don't talk about sharing investments or sharing ideas with them much because you don't trust them with important information. You don't tell them much about yourself because you don't trust them. Now think about the person you trust the most right now. The human you trust the most right now. Okay, some of you, that's going to be your spouse. Right away, that's, boom, it's my spouse. Some of you, it's not your spouse. You trust your spouse, but there's someone else you trust more. I don't know who it is. You can know when you're in the presence of someone you trust because you let down your guard. Right? When you trust someone and you get into their presence, there's a relaxation that comes over you. Right? Because the information you have about that person tells you that they're worthy of trust. You don't carry your sword around like we saw earlier, lest you have to defend yourself. You relax, you rest, and you trust. God wants you to have enough information about Him that you let down your guard when you're in His presence. You know, there's a, there's a, a, a weird comparison that you have to think about. The Bible uses a euphemism when it describes the arrival of Cain and Abel. It says that Adam knew his wife. You think about what is described there. It is the single act of the most trust that most humans have to involve themselves in. It requires a great deal of trust. How do you learn to trust someone? I know. You get to know them. You follow? All of the people you trust, you know. You pass out trust like it's money. You give a little and see if they use it well. And you give a little more and you see if they use it well. You're really investing in someone when you're passing out trust. You give them a little bit of trust and then you see what they do with it. And then you give them a little bit more trust and you see what they do with it. That's what God is asking from us in our relationship with him. He says, okay, 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 okay. So you don't trust me. 
all right, I get that. At least understand that I am God. And the Bible can say the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Right? Everybody knows that one. Be in awe of God. At least recognize that you're dealing with the creator of the universe. My favorite illustration, if you're in the third grade, the fear of the bully is the beginning of wisdom. Right? Do not poke the bully. Do not make fun of the bully. Right? At least have the good sense to know that he's bigger and stronger than you. That's the beginning of wisdom. And God is willing to take the relationship there first. He's willing to arrive at the relationship there first. If you just say, okay, okay, I'm going with the fact that you are a lot more powerful than I am and that you are at least to be in awe of. And that's really what it's saying instead of being frightened of. It's saying being in awe of. At least respect the power that is potentially there. And on the other side, the Bible can say, perfect love casts out fear. Because even when you know somebody extremely powerful, if you get to know them well and you get to trust them, the fear of that authority and the fear of what might be and the fear of their power goes away. And if you love them, it's gone. There's a famous picture of President Kennedy sitting at his desk. You know this picture, right? You're, this is probably already re- appearing in your mind. And crawling around under that famous desk in the, 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 the round room that is the office of the president is a little boy. And All of this authority and power is sitting at the desk and things are being written and things that are being said that are going to change the way we approach things. Who knows what was going on on that day? But under the desk, under the desk is not another American wondering what the president is doing. Under the desk is the son of the most powerful person in the world. And little John can sit under the desk and play around while all of this authority is floating around above him because Big John is just dad. See, on this end of the spectrum is the most powerful being in the universe. And on this end of the spectrum, where perfect love can cast out fear, is dad. Where are you today in that? Where are you in that relationship right now? Are you more to the fear side? Is God scary to you on on this side? Are you worried that his judgments upon you will leave you lacking? Have have you been weighed in the balance and found wanting? Have you discovered grace? Have you discovered that he's desperately trying to save you? That he's doing everything he can to get you into heaven, not to keep you out? 
Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God, and the ultimate revelation of God in Jesus is the crucifixion. The ultimate revelation of the heart of God through Jesus Christ is the crucifixion. How do you know the heart of God? Because it was revealed in Jesus. It was revealed in his willingness to give his life. And if you don't understand that he gave it, it becomes some kind of weird manipulation by the Father. He gave it. He says, no one takes my life from me. I freely give it. He gave his life so that we might have the opportunity to choose grace. Just so that we would have the opportunity. Jesus died, and we can say no. Jesus died, and we can still say no. my son, I've told you this before, if it were my son, you would have lost your opportunity to say no. Because the cost to me would be too much to let you devalue him and walk away. To recognize perfect love that was on display at the crucifixion is to understand how much he loves us. And to truly know, to wrap your head around that casts out fear. I was one of the biggest kids in third grade. Jeff was bigger. Jeff was angry at nine. I wonder what Jeff's life had been up to that point. Jeff showed up one day while we were standing in line to go into the class. He didn't like my particular position in line. And so Jeff pushed me out of line. Now, I had the benefit of ignorance because I had just arrived at the school. And so I didn't know I was supposed to be scared of Jeff. So I just lit into Jeff. You pushed me out of line. Who do you think you are? Jeff and I had a little third, year, third, year, third grade, nine-year-old dance. And Jeff never pushed me out of line again. But I got enough of my own in that dance that I didn't mess with Jeff again until like seventh grade. But I respected him and he respected me because of what we knew about each other. So here's how this starts. It starts with awe and wonder at the authority 
and power, and it moves to some interaction and some understanding, and you read some of the biography, and you go, well, man, I at least should respect him because he demonstrates his authority sometimes, and it's a little sketchy, and it moves through respect, and you start to have a relationship. You begin to talk. You begin to speak, and you begin to answer, and you begin to read, and you, you, you begin to find out that a lot of people in this book are as messed up as you are, and that's there on purpose. It's telling the whole story so that you and I will know that we're not the first mess God has ever seen. That even the heroes, Moses, Abraham, David, Paul, Peter, they're all a mess. Thank God. And we go from a little bit afraid and in awe to sort of some respect to starting to say, you know, you seem to do okay with people who look like me. And we say, maybe I should trust you a little more. And, and I don't know where on the spectrum you are today. You may be way over there. You may be way over there. You may be somewhere in the middle, and most of the time we're in the middle. There are days when I'm standing over here going, Yay, God! But they're not every day. And I'm a professional. A lot of my days are in here. A lot of my days, I'm saying thank you that they're as big a mess as I am. Thank you that your grace is given, not purchased by me. Thank you that you're trying to get me home and that you're willing to lock arms with me and walk me all the way if I need it. And I need it. The apostle, before he closes his prayer, he says, I and them, you and me, that they may be perfectly one. And that the world may know that you have sent me, and listen, and have loved them. So that the world may know that what you saw on the cross was direct intervention on their behalf because you loved them. I and you, you and me, that they may be made perfectly one. The disciples, the followers may be one. Boy, are we messing that one up. We could, we could spend a whole lot of time just working on that one thing. And that the world may know that you've sent me because you love them. And that you love me. Crucifixion is not God punishing Jesus because he's gotten out of line. It's Jesus giving himself so that we might know the love of God.
the extent to which he will go to rescue us. If you think this only happens in the New Testament, you go back to Exodus and read the famous story of how Israel is coming out of Egypt and you think Egypt, bad guys, God doesn't like them. Israel, good guys, God likes them. Right in the middle of the story, it says this. This is happening so that they might know. And you slide forward to all the times when Israel is getting into idolatry and Judah is getting into idolatry and they're wandering away from God and they're pretending this stick is a God and this rock is a God and this statue is a God. They're praying to everything, they're offering incense to everything, they're doing despicable things in the name of these other gods. And prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet comes and you know what they keep saying? So that they might know me. This is happening so that they might know me. Because to know God's heart is to know that He loves you and that He's doing everything possible without manipulating you to get you home. And that at the end of the day is all a preacher can really say. Let's pray. Father God, we are so grateful for your word. Because in it we find ourselves and we find you interacting with people like us. The David who was way off the rails a lot, was a man pursuing your heart. And you loved him for it. And then Moses, who began his career as a murderer, and wandered around the desert, sometimes ready to just have you kill off all of Israel, and sometimes ready to die for them. Was called a friend of God. who was given a face-to-face encounter. Abraham and his doubts. Paul and his violence towards your children. Peter and his denial. James and John, who wanted to call down fire on their opponents. Simon the Zealot, Levi Matthew, all of them are us who see the brokenness. Thank you that you didn't just give us a highlight reel of goodness, that we saw the biography of your interaction with all of those who were like us. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I pray for your Holy Spirit to fall on us, to enlighten our minds so that we can learn to recognize and know you. 
in Jesus' name.